The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Our scripture reading for this morning, our scripture reading for this morning is from Philippians chapter 3. Um, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, I'll give you a second to turn there. It's from Philippians chapter 3 and verses 7 through 11. And if you need a Bible, if you don't have a physical copy or you don't have one on your phone, you can just raise your hand and um, someone will bring you a copy from the back. So Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. So I do invite you to open to Philippians chapter 3. This past week, I was invited to attend uh, one of our community groups for a theological Q&A. It was a blast. Uh, I'm more than happy to come do the same with any other group. But uh, along the way, uh, I was asked a couple of different questions about rewards in heaven. Uh, Scripture regularly speaks about rewards. It it motivates us to live the life of faith by promising us that we will be rewarded for it. Jesus does this. Matthew chapter 6, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. As we talked about these rewards, one of the, one of the questions that this whole conversation caused somebody to ask was, was this. If my life of faith is motivated by reward, then how is that not sinfully selfish and self-seeking? Like, how how could that ever be God-honoring, Jesus-glorifying? It seems like I'm just using God, I'm just using Jesus, I'm just using the life of faith to get this thing that I want, this, this reward. It's a good question. Our text this morning gives the greatest answer. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Christ Jesus, my Lord, is the reward. He is our treasure. He's our our pleasure. Nothing, Paul says right here, nothing surpasses the worth of knowing Him. That is why it is not sinfully selfish or self-seeking to be motivated by the reward. Because we're not using Jesus as a means to get to some other end. No, He is the end. The reward is Him. This this is why seeking the reward is God-honoring. It is Jesus glorifying because you glorify whatever you treasure. And what we treasure is Him. This is what my children do. The moment you come, we had a a community group over at our house for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and my kids, true to form, they do what they do. They start showing off all their cool moves, which right now is, is pinning themselves in doorways like this to climb up. For some reason, that's supposed to be amazing. They do that, and they also start bringing you like their toys that they love and singing their praises. They're showing you the things that they treasure. And they're glorifying them. Singing their praises. You glorify whatever it is that you treasure. And when we treasure Christ, we glorify Him. That's why the reward, seeking the reward of Him, is God honoring Jesus glorifying. When when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely because of Jesus, and you still hang on to Him, you display His worth. That His worth is greater than acceptance. People are reviling you. You're not being accepted, but you hang on to Jesus because He's worth more. You display that His worth is greater than safety. You're being persecuted and you hang on to Him. I'll compromise my safety. I don't care as long as I get to keep Christ. You're displaying that He's worth more than your reputation. People are uttering all sorts of false evil against you on His account. He's worth more than all that. I'm going to hang on to Him. Nothing surpasses the worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Shades, is that true for you? Like, as Paul pins Philippians chapter 3, he wants this to be true for the Philippian Christians. And he wants it to be true for you and for me. He wants nothing in our lives to surpass the worth of knowing Christ. Why? Why is Paul so concerned that Jesus would be our all-satisfying treasure? It's because he knows that suffering is coming. Paul knows reviling is coming. He knows that persecution comes. He knows that having all sorts of evil uttered against you falsely on account of Jesus, that comes. He knows suffering comes. And if suffering, here's the truth that Paul knows, if suffering threatens to take anything from your life that you value more than Christ, you'll let go of Jesus to hold on to that. It's kind of like if your house is burning down, you grab what's of most value to you and that's what you cling to. When, when the fires of suffering threaten to burn down the house of your life, you will cling to what you treasure most. Will you cling to Christ? Will He be of surpassing worth to you? He was to Paul. Why? 
And Paul's sitting in a jail cell. He's lost his freedom. He's lost everything. Why is Paul willing to lose everything in his life for the sake of Christ? What did he see in Jesus that made him of surpassing worth compared to everything else? This is precisely what Paul shows us in Philippians chapter 3. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is what Paul is aiming for us to see. Jesus as the greatest reward. See it with me, Shades. We've got to. Because suffering is coming. If it's not already present in your life, it's coming. Persecution, coming. If it's not already present in your life, coming. The the hostile tide in our current culture towards our faith is only rising. And those embers of persecution are not very hot right now, if we're going to be honest, compared to mostly around the world. Mostly persecution within, if we even want to call it that, within our cultural context means being a social pariah outcast, dealing with a couple of insults and put-downs. People uttering evil against you on account of Jesus. But those fires are only getting hotter. Suffering is coming. And if you value anything more than Christ, when that thing is threatened, you'll let go of Jesus to cling to it. We've got to see the surpassing worth of Christ so that we will cling to him all the days of our life. Let's see it together. Philippians chapter 3, start reading with me in verse 7. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Right here, Paul pretty much says the same thing three times in a row. Makes three statements, and I say that they're pretty much the same thing because he does change them a little bit each time, but really he only changes them to intensify them. See see the growing intensity with me. Statement number one is verse seven. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What's Paul talking about? What gain did he have? Well, we have to go back to last week and remember what he was talking about back in verses 5 and 6. He actually has just given us a list of all the gain that he once had. It's a list that might sound strange to us at first, but amongst first century Jews, this was a list of the greatest gain you could have. Listen to what he says, back starting in verse 5. He says that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul looks at his life before Christ and he says, look, it doesn't matter if you're talking about the attributes I received, like because of my birth from my parents. It doesn't matter if you're talking about my race or my rank or my reputation because of the education that I had. All these attributes I received, doesn't matter if you're talking about that or if you're talking about the accolades I achieved. My religious rigor in being a Pharisee, my resisting of of false religion in persecuting the church, or my personal righteousness, blameless under the law. The point of all of that is that Paul had it all. Everything that counted for anything in his world, Paul had the entire checklist of gains he could have. But whatever gains, that word is plural, in the Greek. He's got the whole checklist. Whatever gains I had, I counted as loss, singular, 
for the sake of Christ. Everything flipped for Paul when he met Christ. It's like he's got a ledger. All my accountants should be getting really excited. This is accounting language that he's using right here. He's got a ledger. He's got a loss column and a gain column. And his gain column was so stinking full. All sorts of gains. But when he met Christ, it's like all of those gains melded together and he counted them collectively as one giant loss. Why? He says, for the sake of Christ. He had a new gain. Christ. And Christ will not share the gain column with anything. He, Paul, would let go of every other gain he had ever had. They were all lost compared to Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there. That's statement number one. Things get more intense with statement number two. It's the beginning part of verse eight. Look at it. Indeed, so we're going to intensify, we're going to ratchet this thing up. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul backs up for a second and he says, okay, it's not just all my gains. Like everything that I actually possessed in life. No, it's everything I ever had the potential to possess. Like everything in this world, all that life could ever potentially offer me, Paul says, all of that. Loss. Why? For the sake of Christ? Yes, but again, that too gets more intense. Paul says, I count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, you stack up every gain the world has got and the worth of Christ surpasses it by far. To the point they're not gains. They're losses. And Here's the deal. Like at this point, we might be tempted to say, that's some nice hyperbole, Paul. Nice little exaggeration for effect. In other words, Paul, what you're saying, those, those things are really easy to say. But Paul's ahead of us. He's ahead of us because this isn't just talk for him, which is why he makes statement number Three says the same thing again, but it ratchets up on the intensity one more time. Second half of verse 8. For Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, or more literally, am counting them as rubbish. I count, I consider, I reckon, the perspective I take on all of my gains is that they're lost for Christ's sake. I count, I reckon, I consider everything the world has to offer as loss in view of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. But this isn't just about counting, reckoning, or considering for me. In reality, I have actually lost all things for Christ. This isn't theory for Paul. He's writing from jail. Because he won't quit preaching about Jesus. He's been told, quit preaching, you're being arrested. He doesn't quit preaching, he gets arrested. 
All the gains that he once had, all the advantages that they afforded him, gone. He has lost every advantage he used to call gain. Everything that this world could hold forth for him to value and treasure and enjoy and to go after and to make his life about, all of his chance to possess all of it, gone. Freedom's gone. Future, gone. Like the only thing he has left, other than a pen and a piece of paper apparently, the only thing that he has left is his life's breath. And even that is under threat. All throughout this letter we learn over and over again he could be put to death. He has suffered the loss of all things. Does he regret it? Does he back up from his previous statements? You know, I, I reckoned these things, I considered them as lost, but now that I've actually lost them, I'm, I, I want to backtrack just to say... No, he doesn't regret it for a second. He ratchets it up one more time. He says, now that I've actually lost all of them, I consider them rubbish. Scubalon. Not a very nice Greek word. We talked about it a little bit last week. It's rather vulgar. It means excrement or worthless stuff it it describes waste that would be thrown out into the the streets that that's how paul has treated everything in this world why why does he count it all rubbish he tells us rather plainly i have suffered the loss of all things and i count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What's so great about Christ? What is this surpassing worth, this gain that makes everything else lost? Paul's going to give us two things. There's a lot more, but it kind of falls under these two headings for him right here in this letter. He's going to give us two reasons that he will suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. They're both in purpose statements, clausal statements. Uh, he's going to say that I have suffered the loss of all things, that. And then he's going to come back to that again. He's going to say it again. I have suffered the loss of all things, that. He gives us two things. That the, the first one shows us why he counts all his gains as loss. And the second one shows us why he counts everything the world has to offer as loss. And then together, they both, these statements, show us the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. So, let's take these statements one at a time for the rest of our time. Number one, Paul points to the surpassing worth of Christ's righteousness now and forever. Why is he willing to lose all things? Count them as rubbish. Why is Christ valuable? Paul points to the surpassing worth of Christ's righteousness now and forever. This is going to answer for us why he sees all of his previous gains as losses. Why, why it is that he's willing to actually suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish because of the surpassing worth of Christ's righteousness now and forever. Let's read verse 8 again the second half of it but let's keep going through verse 9 paul says for Jesus' sake i have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that there's 
why I'm willing to do that. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. If you recall from last week, Paul began this chapter, chapter 3, warning the Philippians about false guides who would lead them away from joy in Jesus, lead them away from faith in Jesus by getting them to put their faith in other things, find their joy in other things. He specifically warned them about some false guides known as the Judaizers, who basically said, Jesus is great, but you have to follow the Old Testament law and do all the works of the law if you really want to be righteous, right with God. There's just one problem that we explored last week with that, and that's this. No amount of works of the law or otherwise can ever make you right with God. And that's Paul's point when he lists off all of his gains, which were works of the law for him. No one had ever done a better job than Paul at keeping the law. And Paul said, it's not enough. My righteousness is not perfect. And only a perfect righteousness can make me right with a perfect God. Enter Jesus. God in the flesh who lives a life of perfect righteousness and offers it to you like clothes to put on. He offers it to you all by faith. Paul says, I see that. I see the surpassing worth of that Christ. Everything I have been striving for my entire life that is impossible to attain. All of that is mine in his name? Yeah, that's what I call gain. And Paul puts his faith in Christ. He forsakes trusting in and treasuring his former gains to trust in and treasure in Christ. That's what faith is, Shades. Faith is trusting and treasuring. Faith is not mere mental agreement with facts. Faith in Jesus is not saying, okay, we've got these statements of facts about Jesus. He's the Son of God. He came. He lived. He died. He rose again. I mentally agree with all of that. Congratulations. So does Satan. Know all the demons more than you do. They don't doubt it. They don't have faith. That's not what faith is. Faith is not mere mental agreement. Faith is trusting in Christ, treasuring Christ. Faith is when Jesus is my joy. That's what Paul says. In verse 9, he says, you gain Christ by faith. Is that not what he says? I want to gain Christ not have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, and a righteousness that comes from God, the righteousness that is by faith. You gain Christ by faith. Yet in verse 8, he says, I count all things as rubbish so that I might gain Christ. That's what faith is. It is a no longer, it's a conversion, right? It's a no longer treasuring of everything I once treasured to now I treasure Christ for forever. This is what faith is to Paul. Faith is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Or we might say it this way, it's the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my joy. 
Why not substitute the word joy right there? Because if you show me your joy shades, I'll show you your Lord. I'll show you. You show me your joy, I'll show you where your faith is. I'll show you where your love is, where your heart is. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 6 and verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure, where your joy, where your satisfaction is, there is your Lord, there is your faith. Where's your faith, Shades? Where's your joy? Your treasure. Is it Christ? Is our faith in His righteousness or in our own? It cannot be in both. We, we cannot treasure both Christ as our righteousness and ourselves as our righteousness. That's that's, that's like a husband saying to a wife, I will be faithful only to you, but I also have this lady friend. No! That, that stands in contradiction to what faithfulness is. And to say that my faith is in Christ's righteousness, but I also have some faith in this righteousness of my own, that stands in contradiction to what faith is. Because faith is a change in what I trust in. It's a change in what I treasure. It's a change in my joy. Faith is seeing and savoring the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my joy. Is Jesus your joy, Shades? By faith, do you you see the surpassing worth of Christ's righteousness now and forever? This is is why Paul says that he counts his previous gains as rubbish. Because he sees them set next to the surpassing value of Christ's righteousness. He says, I don't want to be found on the last day. I don't want to be found on the last day before God clothed in my rubbish attempts to make myself right with God through the law. No, he says explicitly in verse 9, I want to be found... Not in my rubbish rags. I want to be found in Christ. Clothed in His righteousness. This is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He makes us right with God by His righteousness now and forever so that we get God now and forever. Do you see that? Paul doesn't want or value Christ's righteousness just for His righteousness' sake. He says it over and over and over again. No, I want to gain Christ. I want to know Christ. Christ's righteousness is of surpassing value to Paul because it gets him Christ. Not just because it assuages his guilty conscience. Not just because it achieves forgiveness of sins. Not just because it gives him a new identity. All of that is awesome, but all of that is a means to get him to the end, and the end is having Christ. That's that's what he once that is his his treasure not not this rubbish that he was holding all here's another way of looking at it. like all of paul's life was spent trying to find joy in the glory of these gains that he had this is a phrase that i use a lot 
it colors everything for me. I explain it a lot because I want it to color everything for you because I think it colors every page of the Bible. The phrase is simply this, the joy of glory. This is what Paul spent his life doing, trying to find joy in the glory of all of these small gains. Paul spent his life doing this because we all spend our lives doing this. Every person on the planet spends their life trying to find joy. That's a catch-all term for me. Use whatever term you want. People are after love. People are after satisfaction. People are after contentment. They're all describing the same thing. They want to be happy. They're after joy. Whatever it is that gives it to them, they don't care. That's the term. They want joy. And we all seek it in the same place. We seek it in glory. Glory is whatever's good, whatever's beautiful, whatever's great about something. So people seek joy in the glory of romantic relationships. The beauty, the goodness that emanates from that romantic relationship, it fills me with joy. People seek joy in the glory of a career or success. They seek joy in the glory of family. They seek joy in the glory of fame. They seek joy in the glory. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. We all do this, and we all do this naturally, instinctually. My children were born doing this because we were created to do this. You were made for joy. Joy in glory. Here's the problem, though. You were created for your heart to be satisfied with nothing less than the best, and the best is God. You were created with an eternal thirst for joy. Because you are an eternal being. And an eternal thirst can only be satisfied by an eternal drink. And there is one eternal drink of glory, and it's God. He is the only one that has glory in and of Himself that is giving out for all eternity past, all in the present, and all the way into eternity future. The reason that the glory of nothing else in this world can ever give you the joy that you are so thirsty for is because the glory of all of those things is temporary. And so they produce a temporary joy. And they can't satisfy. Even if you make it all the way through this life, grasping on to every little gain and its glory and surviving off of sips of, of the glory and the joy that it gives you temporarily, you will arrive at the final day in the presence of God, realizing that all you're holding is rubbish rags. This is what Paul had spent his life doing. Seeking joy in glory. And now, everything he sought it in, he sees it for what it is. Loss. And he sees Christ and His righteousness that makes him right with God so that he gets God forever. The chief desire of his heart that it was made for, that he has spent his life seeking to attain. It is satisfied. Now and for, do you see? Do you see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? Paul says, You see it. You see the surpassing worth in the righteousness of Christ that we get now and forever. But that's not all. Paul gives us a second reason that he counts everything as rubbish. Not just his gains. That's why he counted his gains rubbish. He finally found the true gain. But he gives us a second reason of why he considers everything the world has to offer as rubbish when compared with 
Christ. The second reason that Christ is of surpassing worth is this. Number two, see, Paul shows us the surpassing worth of Christ's resurrection now and forever. He showed us the surpassing worth of Christ's righteousness, and now he shows us the surpassing worth of Christ's resurrection now and forever. The surpassing worth of his righteousness, it leads to satisfaction. What will be the surpassing worth of Christ's resurrection now and forever? Read it with me. Philippians 3, verse 10. Starts with the word that or so that. We're about to do a little bit of grammar. I apologize. Syntactically, that is connected all the way back up to verse 8. I told you. He says, I've considered all things as rubbish. And then he gives us two that statements. We've gone through the first one, so take that out for just a second, and now we're in the second one. It's connected back up to verse 8, so I want to read it for you that way. All right? For Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things. I'm okay with that. They're rubbish. I'm okay with suffering the loss of all things because through that, I get to know Jesus more. Through that, I get more of Jesus as my treasure, more of Jesus as my joy when I suffer the loss of all things. That's what he says. When you, when you syntactically put verses 8 and 10 together, that's what he says. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may know Christ. How does that work? How does suffering loss, Paul, cause you to know more of Christ? Paul answers with three phrases power of his resurrection the fellowship esv says sharing in his sufferings better word there it's koinonia is the fellowship of his sufferings and becoming like him in his death those are not three separate things those those are those are inseparable they're all of one cloth and and the easiest way for me to show you how i believe they fit together is rather than walking you through all of the grammar which everybody would be super stoked about other than doing that, uh, I'm just going to give you the amplified Jonathan Hayes paraphrase of this verse. If you'd like to know the specifics of how I arrived at this, find me later. We'll discuss the Greek. It's great. But here's my paraphrase. Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may know Christ, namely the power of his resurrection coming through the fellowship of his sufferings this is becoming like him in his death. I've suffered the loss of all things. I count him as rubbish. That I may know Christ, namely the power of his resurrection, coming through the fellowship of his sufferings. This is becoming like him in his death. In other words, how does suffering cause me to know more of Christ? 
it does because as I suffer like he did, how did he suffer? He lived his life for the glory of God and it brought into his life much pain and suffering. So as I do that, as I live for the glory of God and it brings me into fellowship with the same sufferings as Jesus, I actually come to know more and more of him because he's at work in my sufferings, through my sufferings, sustaining me by the power of his resurrection. I can, I can only come to know the sustaining power of the resurrection by being sustained by the power of the resurrection. It comes when I suffer like He did. And He sustains me like He was. He does it by His resurrection power. What does that mean? His resurre- resurrection power is the power that brings life out of death. It's, it's the power that one day will bring all of redemption to completion. It will reverse all of sin and death. It's the power. The power of His resurrection has broken in to this present age through the resurrection of Christ. And it continues to break in through me and through you. It breaks in through our suffering by bringing life out of death. For as we suffer, our reliance upon the things of this world dies. It has to. We're losing them. Things that we trusted in, that we relied on to sustain us in life. Suffering is us losing those things. And so our trust and reliance in those things dies, but our reliance upon Christ comes all the more to life. It has to. Let me back up and try and give you a picture. I think I've given you this before. Sometimes I use illustrations a lot in various places that I preach. I apologize if I've used this before. But, but a picture to try and put some meat on the bones of what I'm talking about right here. This, this is like the game of Jenga. You ever, you ever play this game? My kids and I play this game. I beat them at it all the time because I'm better at physics than they are, but that's beside the point. So, so Jenga, you know, it's the stack of blocks, and on your turn, you've got to remove one and put it on top, and you keep going round and round until you've got this incredibly tall, shaky tower resting on one little bitty block, and eventually it falls, and whoever makes it falls, you lose the game, right? Here's the deal. The more blocks you remove in that game, the more dependent the tower becomes on a singular block until that shaky foundation is all it's got left. Suffering does the same thing in our life, but it has the opposite effect because it's resurrection power that reverses all things, right? It does the same thing, but it has the opposite effect. Suffering removes things upon which we have always thought we depended. It removes these foundational blocks from our life that we have trusted in. Financial security, health, relationships, safety, reputation. Suffering forces our reliance upon all of these things to die until the only foundation we've got left is Jesus. But, unlike Jingo, where things continually get shakier and shakier, Christ proves surer and surer. Through suffering, our reliance upon Christ comes all the more to life. And we come to know the supreme worth of Christ that we cannot come to know any other way. It's the only way you're going to come to know His resurrection power. Resurrection power only comes through death. 
Otherwise, you can't have resurrection power. This, this is why we sing songs like this. When all around my soul gives way, He then, then, at that moment, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking stand, sinking sand. You can only learn that Christ is the solid rock when all other ground sinks. We come to know the power of His resurrection through the fellowship of His sufferings. And Paul has a summary phrase for this process. This is becoming like Christ in His death. It's being conformed to His death. Becoming like Christ in His death. Because it was through Christ's death that came the display of resurrection power. And it's through our suffering that that same power is put on display in my life right now. See how that works? Through Christ's death comes the display of resurrection power. And it's through my suffering that that same power is put on display in my life right now. I am becoming like Him in His death. I'm being conformed to the pattern of His death. Shades, do you see the surpassing worth of Christ's resurrection now? In the here and in the now. It sustains you. His righteousness may be able to promise you that which will satisfy your heart forever, but how in the world are you going to get there? It's a hard road ahead. It does me no good to be promised that I will be found standing in the righteousness of Christ on the last day if I will not be sustained to the last day. This is what His resurrection does. His resurrection power in the here and in the now, it sustains us. Nothing this world has to offer you can do this. Nothing in this world can sustain you through suffering. Precisely because it can all be taken by suffering. But not Christ. Suffering can only give you more of Him. This is why Paul in Romans 8 says that when we suffer, we are more than conquerors. Because it's not just that we're going to get to the end having conquered the suffering. It's that through the suffering, we're getting more of Jesus. Coming to know Him more. Experiencing more of the power of His resurrection. Experiencing more of His grace. We're getting more and more of Him. Suffering can only give you more of Jesus. Shades, see the surpassing worth of the resurrection of Christ to reverse all your suffering and give you ever-increasing joy in Him now. And not just now. Forever. That's where Paul ends in verse 11. Look at it. Becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, or more literally, that in some way, Becoming like Him in His death, that in some way I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul doesn't just want his suffering to mirror Christ's death. He wants his actual death to mirror Christ's death. Meaning that his death won't be the end. That there will be a resurrection for him just like there was for Christ. This is the ultimate surpassing worth of Christ's resurrection. 
Yes, his resurrection is worth something now because it means that Paul's going to be empowered even now as he suffers. Yes, it means Paul's going to get more of Jesus as his joy now through his suffering. But even greater, the resurrection of Christ guarantees that Paul's suffering will end. And not in death. It will end in life. Eternal life. He will get Jesus as his guaranteed joy forever because death won't be the end. Jesus' resurrection was a breaking in of the age that is to come. And when he returns, he will usher in that age and he will finish the resurrection that his began. All his people will be raised to eternal life with him. This is the surpassing value of Christ's resurrection. For Paul, for you, for me. That we have a glorious eternity. And Paul says, I'm going to get there somehow. He's not sure how. He doesn't know how he's going to get to the resurrection of the dead. He's in jail right now. He could live. He could die. He could be martyred. He could die of natural causes. He might live till Christ returns. He doesn't know. But somehow, Paul says, somehow I'm going to get there because the resurrection of Christ guarantees my resurrection. Shades, do you see the surpassing worth of the resurrection of Christ? Not just for now, empowering you through suffering, but all the way to the end where it will bring your suffering to conclusion, not in death, but in life and resurrection. Nothing this world can offer you can do this. Nothing. This is, why, this is why this statement shows us why Paul considers everything the world has to offer as loss. Because nothing in this world can, can cure death. No one but Christ. And nothing but His resurrection. This is why Paul has suffered the loss of everything and counted it as rubbish in order that he might gain Jesus as his joy now and forever. His righteousness is the promise that He will satisfy my heart now and forever. And His resurrection is the guarantee that He will sustain me all the way through this life until I come home to full possession of Him. Christ makes us righteous. He justifies us so that we can have Him as our joy. And Christ sustains us through all of life's up and down, sanctifying us, giving us more of Himself throughout life as our joy. And Christ will bring us all the way home and glorify us so that we get Him as our full joy forever, which is the only thing that can satisfy our hearts. Shades, this is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our joy. Cling to it. When the fires of suffering set fire to the house of your life, cling to the surpassing worth of knowing this Christ. Count everything else as loss. For nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our joy.